whatever you're trying to create, whatever you're trying to prove, whatever you're trying to be, it's all okay. Welcome to Darken the Page, a podcast for lovers of writing and the creative process. And now, here's your host, Dave Buddha. Welcome to Darken the Page. Today's interview is with Chris Morris. Chris is a transformational writer, he's a speaker, and a coach. And what we talk about in this episode is doesn't just apply to writing, it's we really talk about a lot of deeper life wisdom. I think you'll very much enjoy it. Don't forget to go to darkonthepage.com slash 004 to see any notes. I've linked to a few of my favorite articles of Chris on there. And don't forget we post three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if you enjoy the show, please share this with your friends or leave a review on iTunes. Here's the interview. Hello, everybody. I'm here with my good friend, Chris Morris, all the way in London, England. He's on the other side of the world. Um, he is, I was just, just saying this, I didn't want to spoil too much of it before we got into the actual interview. Um, he's just one of my, he's, he's become one of my favorite writers, especially in the last couple weeks. <laughs> and he is also a coach and someone who I just think writes and lives from this really beautiful, meditative, uh, slowed down, place and and I've really really enjoyed reading um, what you've wrote and in our conversations too um, just just absolutely enjoyed how you relate to creativity how you like to creating and relaxing into that space so so thanks for having thanks for coming on wow thank you Dave thank you wow yeah I also like that I that I, I saw my testimonial under a few articles that you had written too so <laughs> yeah I saw that you shared it, and then I added your testimonial to the bottom of the article you shared. <laughs> oh, no, you did. <laughs> That's brilliant, man. You, that, is, that is really brilliant. I, I didn't pick you as a marketing guy, but that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm just curious, um, you know, what's been your relationship to writing, you know, leading up today, and how has that evolved over the years? You know, I, I didn't, asking the question, how did you get started as a writer is kind of like, asking like how did you get started talking but so how did how has that evolved over the years for you well it is that's a huge question it, it feels when i think of myself as a writer there's something in my head that says no 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 don't do that don't yeah. <laughs> don't, don't play that again because <laughs> i mean in a general sense i don't like to make anything that i do into an identity um, but even with writing in particular, it feels like there's a lot to live up to if you describe yourself as a writer. So I kind of think of myself as a human being who writes stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of the, um, the thinking out of the process. Mm -hmm. And it stops it being such a predetermined and predefined role. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember I did write when I was... I didn't go to school very much. I went to school... Um, when I first went to school, and I looked around, and I thought this place is strange. You know, it was. <laughs> it's one of these, I'm, I'm not sure why I'm here, but I, I, I didn't like the feel of it. Um, How, what what I, age was this approximately? This, I think I was about four or five years old. <laughs> Man, I didn't but like I did it from, either when I was four or five. I, I just didn't have the the wherewithal to to believe myself. I think. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but I, I had a very clear sense. I looked around. I said, if I 
if I maintain myself in this environment, I wouldn't have put it this way, but if I spend time here, it's going to break me. <laughs> and I don't know how I had that sense. I don't know why. It's incredible. But I remember I just went to the corner of the room and I said, I'll be over here. <laughs> and it was almost like, you go do your school stuff if you want to. I apparently have to be here. But I, I was completely not interested in joining in. And then it was only a couple of years after that that I stopped going. I was just like, no, you do that. I'm going to do other stuff. So I never was taught how to do a lot of things that we all take for granted that, mm -hmm. we are, you know, that we're schooled in. And it feels like such a liberation that I was never taught how to write. I was never given great literature to read and said, this is how you're supposed to do it. So I've, I don't read very much even now. And I don't actually know what good writing is. So when I come to write, there's not much baggage. I just, whatever is in my head, whatever I would say if somebody was standing in front of me, I type into my phone and that's an article. Mm -hmm. And it feels very, very simple that way. Um, and that's how it's evolved. I did write for a living for a while. I was first of all a ghostwriter, um, which is when you kind of write somebody else's stuff. So I wrote other people's speeches and I wrote other people's articles and books and so on. Mm -hmm. And that was, a, I mean, I really, really love that because it's a process of, you know, I see it a bit like voodoo. You have to possess people. Mm -hmm. You have to get inside of them. And you have to know not only what is it they want to say, but how would they express that? Mm -hmm. And not only how would they express that now, but how would they express that at a certain time and place in the future, speaking to a specific group of people, what would they say in that speech? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a kind of magic. You have to know them so well. You have to be so intimate with their thinking style. Mm -hmm. And then you have to tidy it up and make it better than they would do because if they could write what they want that way, they would just do it themselves. So it's mm -hmm. like you're giving them a, a crafted version of themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. I did that for a while. I absolutely loved doing that. It was a funny one because you get to know someone that well, uh, especially with politicians. I think you get to see a side of them that very few other people see. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to. I think if you're going to be that close to someone, that intimate with their thinking, you have to find something that you love about them. And the easiest way to do that is to love who they really are. You know, beyond the thinking, just completely be with that person. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in politics, you're often the only person in their life that sees them that way. Mm -hmm. So I kind of very quickly saw that the ghostwriting stuff was interesting from a technical point of view. But that way of being with people was like suddenly writing that stuff was a waste of time. And I just let's be together. Let's explore life together. Mm -hmm. So I dropped the writing at that stage. But I did have a little bit of experience in writing. I wrote some articles. I wrote for most British newspapers. I spent about nine months just kind of writing for the sake of learning about it. Mm -hmm. um, but then I haven't done anything like proper writing, really, for 20 years, something like that, 15 mm. years. You know, it just it occurs to me that ghostwriting is such a beautiful lead-in to some of the work that you do now as a coach and really getting to know people but seeing them from a deeper place much like you would as a ghostwriter having to understand what somebody's really all about and be able to express that back to them yeah yeah it's beautiful yeah sometimes i think i described the other day somebody's you know the idea of a self-image as a ghost that's afraid to die mm. and i kind of feel that with people is that we get really intimate with the thinking 
and the personality they've created out of their thinking and we treat them like that's who they are and it's like we couldn't interact with people unless we played that game to some extent mm -hmm. but to love what's underneath it to kind of be in relationship with the truth while dancing the dance of the thinking it's like I think ghostwriting is a beautiful it's like a metaphor for that but it's a great expression of that as well I kind of I never intended it to be that way, but it's like it was perfect, perfect training for what I do now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this idea of not wanting a title I think is really important, and you're not the first person that said that. When I asked the question, you know, how do you experience yourself as a writer, or any of that, because I think there's a lot of wisdom in not grasping onto that. I'd love for you to speak a little more about that and, and why that works for you. <laughs> well, what instantly came to me is that now you're calling me a you. <laughs> <laughs> and even that is, it's like a role, it's a game. It's this, as soon as we identify as a something, like I think the way I put it recently was that if you imagine a human eye, you take an actual physical eye, an eye cannot see itself by the nature of how it, like it's looking outward, it can't see itself mm -hmm. unless you kind of create an image. You could take a photograph, you could see a reflection in a mirror or you know, in a pool of water or something. And it feels to me like the most natural and seductive process for any of us is to start confusing the reflection with ourselves because it's all we can see. Mm-hmm. So I start to create an idea of myself in order to know myself. And then I forget that it's just an idea. Mm -hmm. And that idea might be as simple as I'm a human being. It might be as simple as I'm Chris. Mm -hmm. But the further I go down the path of I'm a man, I'm British, I'm a writer, I'm a coach, you know, I could start labeling myself so much that if I forget, 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 suddenly I'm in this tiny little prison and I have such a limited range of how I can express this person I've become simply by believing this is who I've become I've limited what I'm able to express because I can only express who I think I am so then I would have to get into all kinds of games to undo that to get out of that and mm -hmm. you know, to not do it in the first place to not fall for it mm -hmm. feels to me so beautiful mm -hmm. and yeah, there's, there's something so lovely about just being in the moment, in this moment right now, and whatever happens is cool. Mm -hmm. What do you think happens to people when they identify with the title writer? And it certainly is different for everybody, but mm, maybe in your experience, what, what have you seen in yourself and in others when we start to say okay, I am a writer, here is my business card and my t-shirt and my website, chrismorriswriter.com and whatever. And what, what do you think happens? What, what's the downfall of that? Well, I say I wouldn't make it into a downfall. I don't think it's a positive or a negative. It's just it changes your perspective. It's like putting on a pair of glasses 
and we might have an idea of what's the proper way to see the world. You know, blurry is bad, sharp is good, for instance. We might say to see all the colors that are available is ideal. And if we wore certain lenses that said that we could only see some colors, we'd say, oh, that's only a partial. But, you know, all of us, we're only seeing part of what's there anyway. We don't see infrared light. We don't see, we see a bit of the range. I think if you choose to look through a range consciously, you know, if you choose, I'm going to say that I'm a writer, I'm going to step into this, I'm going to believe this, I'm going to make this my reality because I want to create something, because I want to create an experience within myself, because I want to express that experience into the world, it can be a tremendously powerful way of being. If you stumble into it because other people tell you that's who you are and invite you to see yourself that way and you don't know who you are, so you just accept what you're invited to be, it's like you start to chop bits of yourself off. Like Nobody told me I had a left arm, so I'll just chop that off. <laughs> no one told me I had a leg, so I'll chop that off. And we start to give away our ability to function as a whole mm -hmm. because we, we just, we've kind of, we've let go of stuff that we, and we can always get it back. But it feels to me like such a lovely thing to say, well, if I was completely all of myself, I could still write. I could still segment my mind to create in this moment an expression of what I would do as a writer. But I don't have to be hypnotized into the limitations of it. Mm -hmm. um, so it, always, it comes down to always what is it that you're trying to do? What is it about? And people write for so many different reasons. And people often take a word like writer and assume it's just one thing. And then they're trying to work out how to do it. But, you know, there are many writers, as there are people writing. And it feels like that's where it becomes a limit. Is that so-and-so is a writer, I'm a writer, so I must behave like so-and-so. Mm -hmm. It's that old idea, you know, my dog has four legs, my cat has four legs, so my cat is a dog. Mm -hmm. And we just don't need to do that. It's like it's so sapping of energy. Mm -hmm. So what would you say if I asked you what turns you on creatively? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what turns me on is not being turned off. It's, um, it's like in this moment, everything that's in front of me turns me on. You know, everything I experience turns me on. And before the filtering, you know, it's all fucking amazing. As soon as I start to say, well, this turns me on, I imply other stuff doesn't. And then I go seeking the stuff that does. I get bothered by not experiencing it. And it feels like, it's like the worst kind of coaching that I have seen is these people that come up to, you know, you know, what lights you up? Come on, what, what lights you up? Ah. Like, <laughs> I'm not a puppy. Like, just like, leave me alone. I don't need that. Life itself turns me on. Mm -hmm. Being alive turns me on. And anything that I get to play with within that context is an expression of that. But it's life that's amazing. It's not stuff within life mm -hmm. that makes life amazing. And it feels like such an important distinction to me at the moment. You know, mm -hmm. I've played different ways. I'll probably play different ways in the future. But right now, it's like saying, what's your favorite type of music? It's like, whatever is on, you know, whatever is here right now. Mm -hmm. And somebody said to me, what's your ideal client? I said, you. And he said, why me? Said, well, because you're here right now. Yeah. 
and it's it's always got to be that. It's like, otherwise, I'm going to be seeking something out. I'm going to be on a journey to get somewhere, and I've just been on enough journeys. It's, it's time consuming mm-hmm. and tiring, and you know, right here is perfect. Right here is lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of some realizations I had in in my life about. It actually feels like an addiction to turn on, let's say. So if I'm living my life and I'm thinking, okay, I need to find something that turns me on. I need to, I need to get, I need stimulation. Um, I'm not seeing the stimulation in front of me. I'm not seeing what's there. And then so I'm seeking something bigger and the slowing down and noticing the beauty of, of the ordinary things in front of me is really my salvation in that moment it's not about trying to find something that's bigger and better and i definitely experienced that a lot yeah well i think it also it just really helps to remember it's your body it's your brain Mm -hmm. and it's like sometimes we we kind of forget that if we are excited if we are like having the experiences within our body that vibrate and like make us feel like the physical sensations of being alive, it's like we did that. There are neurochemicals, there are hormones, there are pulses within the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we act as if like our body has, it's like we need a passcode. Like I want to be thrilled. So what's the code for being thrilled? Well, I have to go to another country in order to get the code and mm-hmm. then I can type it into my own neurology and then I'll have a thrill. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the passcode for being turned on? I need to go to that place. I need to be with that person. I need to do that activity. They'll give me the code. I'll type it into my chest and then I can have the experience. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you just learn what the code is? Have that experience whenever you want it, completely unconditionally to where you are, who you're with, what you're doing. You know, it's, it's outside of what we've been taught the world works like. I can sit staring at a wall just having the time of my life Mm -hmm. and it saves a lot of time and money (laughs) (laughs) and you can then choose to be with people you can choose to do things because you want to create certain outcomes Mm -hmm. but you're not doing it because it turns you on you're doing it because you're already turned on you want a way to express it Mm -hmm. and that feels like the right way around for me the way I see it right now Mm mm-hmm yeah I think that's a really important point mm-hmm. so if I were to ask you how do you experience the zone and let's just say you know different different people have called it different things you know Mozart called it being with God Michelangelo called it intelletto and when you when you feel that What's that like for you, if you had to describe it in words? (laughs) See, in words. Can I do an interpretive (laughs) dance? (laughs) As long as it's a tap dance, I can hear it. (laughs) Maybe this is why we write, because this is what we're trying to express in so many ways. But I wonder... I do feel like it's part of the absurdity of being alive is this is what we want to express and there's just no way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So we try and do it through metaphor. We try and do it through, you know, art. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted on one hand to reduce it because I think it's sometimes 
it can be a pain to reduce it. It can be annoying, but I think it's also it is quite useful to say it is a certain brain state. It is certain neurochemicals. It is a physical experience. Mm-hmm. It is certain brain waves. You know, if you can get the um, the ratio of alpha waves to gamma waves to beta waves, you know, you can just hook yourself up to a machine and put yourself in that state. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it takes away some of the mystery from life, but I think it's also very clarifying because we. When we make it mysterious, we say, oh, well, it's unpredictable and, you know, I'll be on a journey and one day I'll learn about it and I might get there in the end. And you actually can just take certain supplements. You can put your brain through certain electrical fields and you can get into the state that um, people describe as grace, people describe as, you know, the God space. Um, and I think Timothy Leary did wonderful experiments in the 60s, and I can't remember exactly, 60s and 70s, I think it was, where he gave people LSD, but in different environments. Mm-hmm. And he gave people LSD in a prison, and they had certain experiences, but a lot of people found it terrifying. Mm-hmm. Then he gave people LSD in a cathedral, like a church, in a really holy environment. And so many of them had religious experiences. Like they saw God. They, they were God. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow. So it feels like there's a combination of the sensory experience we take in combined with the configuration of our system and the relationship between those. To me, that's how we create the zone. And we, we can make it a bit mysterious, but I... I love the mystery. I love the bit that is unknown. Mm-hmm. I love that playfulness of seeing where it comes about. But I also do love that it's it's very simple and very replicable. Mm-hmm. If you say like this, you know, also I think to understand that this is, in my experience, the natural state of human beings. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much what do we do to get there as what do we not do to not get there. Like mm-hmm. We're removing the blocks rather than getting anything new and it's like we live in a time that is you know there's a lot going on in the world you go back a few hundred years the amount of information they would accumulate in a lifetime is less than the amount of information we accumulate in a day mm-hmm. you know, just flicking through a news feed on Facebook we are bombarded with so and so is doing this and so and so is here and this, this and this, that and it might not be profound information but it's all being processed by the brain, by the nervous system. And we are using our brains in unusual ways in the history, you know, in the scheme of human history. And so I think sometimes it is like we have learned to habituate to a, a kind of a way of being that's very new. And therefore we're discovering new things about how we can be human. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get back into the zone, you say, well, Look at our early ancestors. They were always in the zone. You know, you go looking at different monkeys, for instance. They don't get depressed. There are scientists who have made them get depressed, which is a fucking crazy job if you ask me, but there are some scientists who have done experiments. If we treat these monkeys like we treat human beings and we measure their brain and we measure their blood, we can make them anxious, we can make them stressed, we can make them 
as crazy as humans. Mm -hmm. But if they're left to their own devices and in their own natural, wild way, they don't have those problems. And my sense is it's the same for us. Is we are naturally, we're born in the zone, we live in the zone until we do these very artificial behaviors, which because everyone else is doing them too, we don't see as artificial. Mm-hmm. But it's that that takes us out of the zone. And we don't need to do anything to get into it. We just need to, you know, follow our own rhythms, be with ourselves, not try so hard to fit in with other people. Uh, not try so hard to do anything. Just be, just be be the monkeys and without the scientists. Yes, just be more like monkeys. <laughs> I'm right down the street from Monkey Forest. I don't know if you've been to Ubud, Bali. That's where I am. No. And I'm right down wow. the street from Monkey Forest, and there actually is monkeys that uh, climb over this co-working space that I'm in, and sometimes they come in and steal things, and it's really cute. Oh, wow. <laughs> the Balinese don't think it's so cute because they're, you know, they, their food gets stolen and stuff like that, but all the Westerners think it's really fun and and I love it. I could, my one of my my meditation practices is to sit and just just watch the monkeys, and I could watch them for days. And it is the easiest, most natural thing in the world. It's just really, really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So, if I were to press you for uh, if I were to press you for a metaphor to uh to tell us what what it's like when chris is in that space um if i if you had to give us a metaphor what would you say (laughs) are you gonna put a gun to my head yeah (laughs) if i have to i'm gonna put a monkey uh, monkey to your head or something yeah well i'm gonna i hope it's not too obstructive but it's not like anything that's that's the whole point of that (laughs) is that if we're making it like something, we're turning it into a thing. We're going to say, it's the whole, my dog has four legs, my cat has four legs. It's how like apples and oranges. You can say, what is it like? It's similar to, but the only way to do that is to turn it into an object and then compare it to another object. Even if the object is, you know, a a description in words. Mm -hmm. It's like models. And the whole point of it, I think, of being present, of being outside of a thought-based reality is that it's nothing. It's pure nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's a... If we... If I'm pushed into describing it somehow, I'll only make it less clear. I remember there was... When I was young, I, I was in a hospital for a while when I was growing up. I think partly because I wouldn't go to school. They didn't know what to do with me, so they put me in this hospital. Um, it's because it was the only place with a bed. Mm-hmm. And in the in the daytime, other kids were there, but in the evening, it was just me. And so I had a lot of time to myself, and I'd think a lot because that's all there was to do. And I think a lot of kids have questions about life and what it's for and, you know, how did I end up here? What was going on before I was born and how will it end and what's it about and, is important. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of time to think about these things. And I remember there was a nurse in the hospital who, she kept talking to me about God. It was like a big deal in her life and seeing me in this desperate situation, I think she she wanted to help me. Um, So she would often talk to me about God. And I liked the idea of a God, but not the God she was talking about. Uh, It just seemed a bit 
a bitter kind of God to me. Mm -hmm. And she would describe the whole Noah's Ark and she would talk about how God got pissed off with human beings and so decided to drown everyone. <laughs> and I thought, I don't really like the sound of this guy. And then she started saying about how all the animals were drowned as well. And I said, even puppies. And she said, even <laughs> puppies. And I thought, fuck that. I want nothing to do with a god who drowns puppies just because he's pissed off with humans. Yeah. So I kind of I got into this little game with her. As I knew she was onto something, but I just I loved teasing her as well. I was only I think eleven at that time, but I I knew there was something I found thrilling about disgusting somebody who was so righteous. <laughs> it was, you know, it was almost sexual. A it career was, just, was born was right there. <laughs> it, 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 actually, I think there was something. It is such a visceral feeling. And I worked out the question to ask her is that one day she was talking on and on about this God. And I said to her, you talk about God a lot, but what is bigger than God? And I saw the disgust on her face. And she sort of held herself up high and she said, nothing is bigger than God. That's so profound thought, cool. right there. Nothing is bigger than God, yeah. That's exactly it. Nothing <laughs> is bigger than God. So let's pray to nothing. Let's be with nothing. And as a child, I didn't really understand meditation. I didn't really have a sense of what that was. But night after night, I would be with nothing. And it feels to me like that's what it is to be in the zone, to be present, to be in a flow. Is that there is no you in the flow, it just is flow. You're letting go of your self-image, you're letting go of your ideas about yourself so that you are nothing. You are the nothing that everything comes from. You are an expression of the whole universe. And the nature of that, I think, is that none of us who are here now are letting go to such an extent that we become nothing, that we disappear entirely. So there's always some element of a filter that turns it into our expression of nothing. Mm. So my writing is different to your writing and my dancing is different to your dancing. And, but it's the more we let go the more we are expressing the truth of human nature, the, the, the entire cosmos coming through us, mm -hmm. rather than our idea of ourselves expressing ourselves, which is always forced and is always awkward mm -hmm. and is always just that feeling of this person is trying too hard. And you can tell the difference. You can be a very good dancer who's trying to dance. You know, there are people on stage who, you know, you know it's an act. You know it's nothing. They're not expressing anything, but it's still fucking amazing that they can move their body in those ways. Mm. But then you shift to somebody who's just, they're alive. It's life itself is coming through them in a form that is just gorgeous to watch. And they might not even be as technically good, but you can see something is just more hypnotic about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of writing. I think that's true of all kinds of art. It's true of sex. It's true of just absolutely anything that is our way of getting outside of our idea of ourselves and bringing something through us rather than us doing something. Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful answer, Chris. I really, I love that. That I love how you arrived at that nothing, the bigger than God concept. That's I really, you know, that's really beautiful.
Well, it's funny because at the time I, I, I didn't really understand, you know, as an 11-year-old boy, but I knew I'd hit on something and I was so smug about it as well. <laughs> you smug? What? <laughs> I, I was lying in my little bed. I just thought I was so clever. And it was really weird because... It was about 20 years later that I realized, I tell you what it was, is that I, I kind of stumbled in my mind that there were two kinds of nothing. Mm. And that's where I felt really smart. It was like there was this distinction that I had made that nobody, and I tried to talk to people about it, and they all just like, this kid is fucking weird. So I, <laughs> you I, were in I a hospital kind of too, to, so, right? Yeah, I know. It's really kind of like a bizarre kind of situation. But it it was only like 20 years later that I realized the Kabbalists had already kind of made this distinction and they have a third type of nothing. Um, wow. So it wasn't even so smart. But um, it's something that I think is a really graceful way to get into life is that nothing does turn into everything, but there's also a process for that. And if we can slow ourselves down enough and inquire into it, we could go and learn it from somebody else's description, but to really feel it, how does nothing, how does the infinite energy of the universe turn into you, turn into the words that come out of your mouth, turn into then the words that somebody else hears, like, to slow it enough down that we don't need someone else's description and we couldn't possibly describe it ourselves, but that we get it somehow. We get it in a way that can't be turned into words, that can't be modeled, that can't be a symbolic representation. It's not like anything, mm -hmm. but we get it. And that, to me, that's, that's what turns me on. That's life. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love that. Mm -hmm. So, if I were to ask you, how does something come from nothing for you? How do you experience <laughs> that? What would you say? I'd throw a raspberry at you, Dave Buddha. <laughs> uh, I'm all, I, I still got this gun. I, I need to use it sometimes. Still got this gun to your head, Chris. Um, you know, I, I also am curious uh, as to what, like, what turns you off? Like, what, what, what are some things that, and you know, you might not be with them too long because they're they you know they they identify themselves as a place you don't want to be but but what what turns you off creatively um, i think what really turns me off is i see chaos as a beautiful thing i love natural chaos i think everything is chaos and that's our effect of trying to turn chaos into order that is the what i call fake chaos it's our um, misunderstanding of chaos. But what I would say turns me off is people who are behaving irrationally and outside of what they think they're doing because they aren't clear on their own intentions, their own, you know, what are they about? What is this? And you can sometimes surrender being about anything, but then you're about surrendering being about. <laughs> and it's to, to, to turn it into the writing, it's like a lot of people, they just they want to write a book, for instance, but they don't know why they want to write a book. And they're so busy writing a book that they haven't questioned, you know, what's it for? And they would probably have 
uh, a kind of an answer that's from the personality that's kind of thought-based, which is their own delusion about why they're writing it. And I find that so many people give me their books. I don't know where they think I have time to read all these books, but it's, it always feels like a gift when someone gives me something, but it also feels like a bit of a burden. It's, it <laughs> takes quite a while to read a book. And, That's true. You know, I'm not going to be reading every book I'm given. And what I look for is, do they know what they were doing when they wrote this? Was there something that was inside of them that was so keen to get out that it wasn't that they tried to do it, but that they could not do it? It was mm -hmm. like they were possessed and it had to come out. Mm -hmm. Is it that they're trying to get somewhere? Like a lot of people write a book because then they'll be seen as an expert and then what they really want is to be seen as an expert. Mm -hmm. People write books so that they can give talks. People then do talks to promote the book and it's like you go round and round in circles. <laughs> and then you're going to... A lot of people write books, for instance, in, in this kind of coaching environment, is that really they're so insecure about whether their ideas are useful to anyone mm -hmm. that it's like if they write them down and they kind of put them in very manipulative kind of patterns, you know, persuasive ways of putting them, and then if people buy the book, it's like validation. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, I was right after all. My ideas were good. Mm. And these people often even will give their book away for free. It's because it's all they want is for someone to read it and say yes. Because what they really want is for someone to come along and tell them they're okay, you know, mm -hmm. what you think is all right. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of stuff turns me off hugely. I'm like, you don't need me to agree with you to know you're okay. You're okay because you're okay. And we don't need to read whole books about it. Mm -hmm. And so it's the clarity that I love. And people who are just lashing around, kind of trying to prove themselves, trying to be somebody and using writing as a way to do that. It's, I just find it boring. It's not, mm -hmm. They're trying to be respected, trying to be approved of, trying to... Mm -hmm. Probably because there's a part of me that wants that and I just suppress it so much that when I see it in others, it's like, oh, God. <laughs> well, but, you know, yeah. I, I think we're living in a, really, in a really nice time, too, where there are so many alternatives to writing a book you know maybe maybe a hundred years ago that was you know maybe the the best way to to get a, a body of work in terms of writing out and today it's it's literally not the case there's like everything there's everything in between a, a, a twitter status and and a you know a thousand page novel and everything in between is possible and mm. i always think about it's actually very similar in music, you know. I think I think that's what the music industry has turned into too. Where it's like, if you wanted to release music and record it, well, you'd record an album. That was just obvious for so many years. And now it says, well, you know, you want to record one song and release it as a single. Why not record one song three different ways? You know, why not put it on YouTube? Why not uh, have people subscribe and you can play it live on UStream? And there's there's so many ways to to publish you these days that I can see where we get caught up with the notion of a book because we have it that a book means X, Y, Z. And then yeah. we stop, it stops being about uh, sharing with the world and more about the completion of, of something that we have will give us a certain result. Mm. And But I also think that you can apply the same logic to any of those things. Like, why are we publishing these Facebook statuses? Why are we tweeting? Why are we doing any of it? Mm -hmm. Is if somebody's clear, 
if somebody really is knowing what they're about, it has a quality to it. You know, some people, they're in bands because they want to get laid and party. They don't care about the music at all. Some people, they're completely just into the music. Some people, it's a, a whole mix of the whole lot stuff. But it's like, if we know, I don't think there's any right or wrong reason to do anything. But I think knowing, it's like, know yourself. And then you will find, it's inevitable that you'll do what it takes to create what you need to create to express that. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know who you are, if you don't know, it's just irritating to have so much going on in the world that it's, like, has no integrity to it. That's no, um, it's just noise. Mm-hmm. A lot. I was speaking with um, Steve Chandler on the first episode of this podcast, and <clears throat> when we were talking about this subject, and and he was relaying similar thoughts about what what kind of but when he gets handed books and it's just he just knows within the first couple minutes he just sense this uh this person is 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 fronting something and he said you know he said something funny he said i I have i have so many books with broken spines just from throwing them across my room and hitting the wall (laughs) (laughs) you know and and it's it's true because that's we sense that it doesn't even you can sense that even from the cover sometimes you know there's a there's a knowing that that happens when when we start reading something that is not mm, yeah i guess aligned in integrity you know mm. yeah. and it's just one expression of it you know you if you're standing in a bar and someone comes up to you you can tell whether they really want to connect with you whether they want to you know be in a moment with you or whether they're trying to show you who they are and they're trying to impress you or they're trying to get something from you mm-hmm. it's, like it's, it's, it's the same game the world over it's just it feels like when we make things so easy to connect with thousands millions of people at once you can't go into a bar and meet a million people but you can like pay for your stuff to be distributed on Twitter and things very very easily you can buy retweets you can and you just get a lot of noise and a lot of books like in the self-help industry it's like a lot of these number one bestsellers it's it's very if you get to know the publishing industry it's like you just give them to the shops for free mm-hmm. you they'll put it at number one because they'll make a hundred percent profit on all of them and it's it's amazing what goes on behind the scenes to um, to get somebody into the position of being a best-selling author, so that people will go to their events, so that and so that and so that and so that. And it's never been about the book, and nobody even cares what they write in the book because it's all about selling. It's all about getting somebody from A to B, mm-hmm. rather than the writing itself being about expressing something. Mm-hmm. And so that's the distinction I make. It's, it's funny because I don't want to talk about it that much because it's the bit that turns me off. But it is, um, yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny world that we've we've made it. We've turned something so beautiful, and the same industry can make it into something so vulgar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very similar to music too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you said that you're not reading a lot these days, but who are some writers that have inspired you over the years? It's funny. I read so little. People often assume that I read a lot. Um, or I, even maybe replace the word writers with anybody that inspires your, your expression of yourself. 
or it's anything, awkward, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I like anything or anyone? I remember when I was including young, nothing. I was yeah, I am totally inspired by nothing. Yeah. Different representations of nothing. Shiva turns me on immensely. The fourth generation um, of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I. I'm never quite clear on it. I, I looked into it quite a bit. When I was a teenager, I did some campaigning, and I was interviewed by a journalist, and he asked who my role models were. And I literally couldn't think of anybody, and it seemed to freak him out. And because of that, I think it really freaked me out, and I started inquiring, like, what's wrong with me that I don't have role models? And what's wrong with me that I don't look to the outside to be inspired? And it's been the same for a long time. Is that there are things that I look at and I go, that's cool. But it's, I don't really, I also, I don't really know. It's like I look at it, I'll get inspired and then I'll move on. And probably something lingers, but I don't pay much attention to it. Mm -hmm. I don't carry things around with me. Which means I'm not very good at giving credit, I guess. <laughs> I'm not good at bigging things up, but I don't really know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I really enjoy that I see you become inspired by is, I guess I put it under the umbrella of passion. I see that, I see that you often write inspired by whatever's going on. I've enjoyed your commentaries on world events, or maybe it's a conversation you just had. And I really, I see the things that light you up and I, and I love how you express it with a mix of passion and groundedness. And that's something I've noticed in you that I really enjoy. Mm, thank you. I think there's, for me, it's some sense of, I think that a good distinction also to make is between, you can write just to write. You know, I publish a tiny amount of what I write because I, I love writing. But I, I would never share something without an intention. Um, I suppose that's partly what I was saying before. Otherwise, it becomes noise. And it also becomes a kind of a, inviting people to see stuff within me that I don't, unless I have a reason for them to look that way, I don't. Do you know what I mean? Attention for the sake of attention isn't very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, so if I share something, it's to make a point which will always be to serve me it may be useful to other people it may be um, but it's to draw into my life what I want in my life you know I have no interest in um, being popular I have no interest in changing the world I don't want to save the planet or anything like that um, so if I'm writing about current events it's not really to contribute to the conversation it's not to help anyone get clearer it really is to provoke the people that I'm interested in connecting with to get in touch with me that's all it's for mm -hmm. so I will write in that way and I will express it in the way that will give some indicator into how I am looking in order that it's like a it's, the invitation matches you know do you see what I mean it's like a reflection of the invitation mm -hmm. it's like the article becomes a talisman for for the invitation yeah, much like dating, I feel like, you know, that's that's a beautiful way to go out in the dating world because when you can express your authentic truth in that moment, 
what you're really doing is is it's like a mating call. You know, you're saying, hey, anybody who's into that sort of thing, you know, come talk to me or or if you or here I am talking to you and I'm expressing who I am. And if you're not into that, great, let's move on. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of like a mating call. It sounds like what you're doing. That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> and of course, what you avoid is that thing where you put on a nice mask and then people like that. And then a little bit later on, you have to take it off at some point. And you've wasted all that time getting to know the mask. And then people don't like what you're really about. And so there's something about just right, right from the beginning, like take off all the layers and just like, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And then sharing it wisely in the right context with the right people. I could just keep the mask on the rest of your life, too. That works. <laughs> Some people try that, I think. It doesn't tend to work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know because maybe they just fooled us. You know, that's it. We always thought that was them, and they just kept masked on really well yeah. the whole life. Yeah. Well, I think it depends. I think what you're looking at and where you're looking from are so interrelated that, you know, if you're looking clearly, you can see people that make their masks work for them. They're not so different that. Every mask has a reflection of truth. It's still created from the same nothing. Um, it's just like nothing for a funny lens. Uh -huh. It's like in my, ha in my house, I have these funny mirrors that make people look uh, taller and thinner. That's because most people want to look taller and thinner. So I think <laughs> I put up a mirror and help them out. But I think that's how we look at the world. We're looking through these distortions. And you know that's all the mask is. It's not that it's not true. It's just that it's truth stretched in certain ways and bits blurred out and bits exaggerated and it will get the job done but then we'll live in distortion every experience will be distorted every moment will be distorted how we experience the world will be distorted how we relate will be distorted and if we can get clearer and clearer take off more and more of the distortion take off more and more of the mask mm -hmm. just feels to me like we get to be more true our experiences are more true. We get to a point where we can't describe it because words become useless. Mm -hmm. But we are we are turned on all the time, and mm -hmm. that's that's my idea of heaven. That's mm -hmm. my idea of that's what being alive is for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is my last question, Chris. Mm. If you could go back, if you could go back in time and speak to yourself and and maybe it's the four or five year old who didn't like school and um or maybe it's it's you beginning a writing project or anything um but if you go back in time and and take the experience that you've had in your life and and slip yourself a, a note um what would that note say wow well, I think in a sense that we're constantly doing that because I, I don't see time as a linear um, progression. Mm. I think everything we learn now creates the past differently. Mm. And since all we know of the past is our memories of it filtered through this moment now, it's like everything that I think about the past, everything I know about the past, I'm constantly updating based on my ideas now. Mm. Um, I'm doing a workshop later in the year called, um, what's it called? It's called um, Effect and Cause, an Exploration of Nonlinear Learning, mm. which is really about when you learn something in the present but apply it in the past. And I think a lot of people have had that experience, but it's such a weird one that we don't really 
we can't express it very clearly a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people have an insight and they see something different. And then a little bit when that settles, they think, hang on, I already knew that. And mm-hmm. it turns out that a lot of the things we learn now, but we, and it's like, it's a cool thing to play with. So I think we're always slipping our past selves notes. Um, and I think the only note that I would consciously pass back is just to say everything is okay. You know, whatever you're trying to create, whatever you're trying to prove, whatever you're trying to be, it's all okay. You know, there is no better version of anything. You know, we often have this idea that to be more spiritually mature, to be more psychologically mature is better than to be immature. Um, with our bodies, we often have it the opposite way. It's like we look for less mature. Mm-hmm. Like if you could have an 18-year-old body or a 60-year-old body, most people would go for the 18-year-old body. Mm-hmm. But I think like in spiritual understanding, people are often seeking maturity. I would make that distinction. I think wherever we're at is perfect. Whatever is going on, whatever we're trying to do, it's all okay. And the only struggle I've really ever had in my life, which has been expressed in a million ways, but it's all been the same thing as this inquiry, am I okay? Mm-hmm. And to know we are okay, that it's all okay, that there's nothing we could be or not be or do or not do that wouldn't be okay, other than our thinking about it. It's tremendously liberating, tremendously healing. So I would just keep passing that note back to every iteration of me that's ever been <laughs> and reminding myself in the future too, can I leave notes all around eternity to just keep reminding myself mm-hmm. whatever you're experiencing, whatever it feels like, whatever seems to be happening, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's always perfect. I really love that idea that, that we are constantly passing those notes. And when I apply that to this idea of passing yourself the note to say it's okay it's it totally makes sense that those there are times when we have let's say parts of our life that you know let's say that I was a bank robber 10 years ago and and I've just lived in a lot of stress because I thought oh geez I robbed a bank and that's not okay and that's not okay and and as soon as I passed that note to my self of 10 years ago and 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 then that past gets the message that it's okay, which happens all in the present. That's when that gets. That's when that changes in the present again. And so I really, I really love that that concept, Chris. Mm. Yeah. It's a big one, isn't it? It's big. Yeah. I just I just saw Interstellar about a about three weeks ago, and I just loved that movie too. It was a. Uh, made you think about time and, and non-linear time as well. Mm. I just love that little bit in the film where they had the two dots on the bit of paper and they oh, fold it. Yes, that was brilliant. Oh, I was so grateful for that, <laughs> for a little, for an explanation of that like that. I, I, I totally got it. It's gorgeous. We are so often like, I need to get from A to B now. Can I, I could go all the way around here and I could go up and down and, or I could go a direct straight line. Mm-hmm. And then I think, why the fuck do you even need a straight line? Just fold reality. Mm-hmm. Just collapse these ideas. You don't need any progression. You don't need any journey. Mm-hmm. In this moment, right here, right now, you can see beyond every idea. You can see beyond every story. It doesn't take any time at all to wake up to who you already are. And I think that idea of folding, 
that's how reality, in my experience, is like we are. We can't do it in time. We can't do it in steps. We can mm-hmm. only do it right now. Mm-hmm. And that's gorgeous to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, it's been a real pleasure. And I was thinking, I'll, I'll, you know, I was thinking to myself, one of the things I do with when I go back and edit this show is I, I pull a, a clip from from the hour-long thing and I put it in the beginning and then I run the intro. And I was just thinking to myself, man, it is going to be so easy to find some beautiful 10 seconds of of conversation from you because <laughs> I just love that everything you say you know it, it actually really in a way it, it it's what you said about writing because you know your what you speak is you you add that same intention and and I just so appreciate it because it 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 really it turns what you say um, it increases the quality of what you say and probably decreases the quantity and I love that Mm, thank you. I'm going to be so curious which <laughs> 10 seconds you pick now. This is how I shall define myself. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we shall see. You know, I, I haven't decided yet. So, um, But sure. thank you again for coming on, Chris. It's always a pleasure talking you. to you. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Dave.